0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of 20 Minute Playbook, where each week we sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors to dive into everything from their daily routine to their favorite books, their superpowers, and even a favorite failure, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I sit down with crypto legend Joey Krug. Joey is a co-founder of Augur, which is a global no-limit betting platform for anything. He's also a co-founder of Eco, which has raised more than $86 million from A16Z, Lightspeed, and caterton all to build a new type of bank built entirely on crypto rails. Joey's also the co-CIO of Pantera Capital, which was founded by Dan Moorhead in 2013 and was the first institutional money manager in the crypto space. To date, Pantera has amassed over $6 billion in capital alongside absolutely eye-popping returns. Pantera invests both in new crypto DeFi and Web3 protocols and projects, and they also manage a liquid, more mature crypto portfolio. As the co-founder of multiple high-profile projects, as well as the co-CIO of over $6 billion in crypto assets, Joey sits in an incredibly unique position, which is why I was so excited to get him on the show. For more on Pantera, visit PanteraCapital.com. I also highly recommend subscribing to their monthly newsletter where they share commentary and thoughts on the broader crypto market. I've been a subscriber for years, and I've always really enjoyed reading through the newsletters. You can also follow Joey Krug on Twitter at Joey Krug. That's a J-O-E-Y-K-R-U-G. For links to everything we discuss in this episode, as well as the full show notes, visit outlieracademy.com slash 77. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Joey Krug of Pantera Capital. Joey, thank you so much for joining me on 20-Minute Playbook. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. This should be a little bit shorter format than the long-form interview we did. We try to keep these episodes under 20 minutes. So let's go ahead and dive in. And the first question we always ask, and I'm super excited to hear your answer, is what you're fascinated or excited about. And this can be obviously in crypto. This can just be more broadly in the world. What things are on your mind? What things can't you stop thinking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think outside of crypto, I would say like biotech stuff, I'm super fascinated by what's happening in that industry. Crypto and biotech are kind of like the two most interesting things to me. I think what's happening with CRISPR and genetic editing is going to be huge. It kind of reminds me of what I've read about, what software was like in the late 70s, early 80s. I think if you just fast forward two decades, it's going to be like mind boggling what's happened in that field. I think outside of that, I'd say obviously crypto within crypto, I'm mostly excited about what's happening with Layer 2 is finally getting adopted there in real numbers, which is sort of starting to solve the scalability problem that we've had for years. And the other thing in crypto is not like a specific thing. It's more just like the concept that teams are caring more about design. I mean, like UI UX and stuff, companies that we invest in are actually like hiring designers and that kind of stuff, which three years ago, most of them weren't. So I think that's another thing that I'm excited about.
0: Amen to that second one. I always am slightly bummed when people are just focused on engineers. I'm like, it actually takes a lot of people to solve and build a great product. It doesn't just take code. On the biotech side, I have to ask a follow-up question there because that's an area that I'm always fascinated by. I also feel like it's hard for people to grasp. So is there papers you would point people to, a personality whose videos you watch a company? Are there tangible things that people can look up to learn more about CRISPR gene editing in that space?
1: I don't have great pointers on resources. I mostly just, once in a while, I'll read read latest research papers and stuff that'd be a field where there would be like great books for it but I'm not sure like what's out there I mostly just read kind of latest stuff that's like in clinical trials once in a while or like what's happening on the research side, Just because I find it interesting.
0: Yeah, something I finally subscribed to after not for a long time is nature. And I feel like whether you just follow them on Twitter, whether you follow them on the internet, I mean, they have great stuff and, and a lot of it is kind of biotech related. We talked in the other episode all about crypto investing, Pantera Capital, about your investing superpowers. What are your superpowers much more broadly? You're clearly somebody who I think is very smart, very technical, What, when you think back in time, look back in time, what do you feel like was there early on that is still a superpower that's helping you today?
1: Probably just like synthesizing information and then making a decision quickly and like fairly aggressively, I think, which like works fairly well for investing, especially early stage investing where you have not that much data to go off of. Another kind of like way to explain that is like making decisions without much data. is something I'm fairly comfortable doing. Some people are very uncomfortable with it. Like they want to wait to get every ounce of data possible to make a decision. I forget who said it, but there was some scientist or entrepreneur or somebody who said, you want to gather as much data as possible to make a decision at like the last possible, like reasonable time you have to make it. It actually might've been a general or something. I think most people, they get the last possible reasonable time part wrong. They often make the decision far too late than they should. And so I think one skill set I have is determining when the right time is for those sorts of decisions.
0: It's fascinating. I love that parallel universe where you're a general in some sort of an army. (laughs) Maybe this is back in time. One thing I think is interesting is there's kind of this theme of just being really comfortable with risk. And that's something that I think is relatively unique. Where do you think that comes from?
1: It might be like something like psychological from my childhood. Like my brother was hospitalized and very ill when I was really fairly young. I remember having to like do a bunch of research to try to figure out what drug to be used to basically make him get better. And At the time, my options were like, be extremely sad and like give up or just like keep like researching till late in the night every day. And I opted for the latter. And so I kind of view it as like, that always feels much riskier compared to everything else. My brother almost dying always feels riskier than almost anything else. And so every other risk is all downhill from there. Every other risk is much more easy to get comfortable with compared to that one. It might go back to that, but I haven't thought about it too deeply.
0: Yeah. It's beautifully said. feels like the ultimate risk setting exercise where (laughs) you have this thing, this kind of moment very early on that I think calibrates your risk in a certain way. On the flip side of the coin, what do you feel like you struggle with and how have you improved or worked around that over time? And this is just generally whether that's personally, professionally.
1: Yeah. I'd say probably like softer, emotional stuff. For instance, giving someone feedback. it to them very factually, but I might like accidentally do it in a way that's giving them too much feedback. They've already gotten the point, but I really hammer the point to make sure they understand it. That's probably actually the main thing, is like the softer and emotional stuff. And then the other thing I struggle with is just dealing with everything going on. I have a million meetings, a million emails, a million people pinging me about stuff all the time. I mean, it's a lot and it's kind of stressful. I handle that pretty well. Sometimes you'll have a day where like, there's like three crises or fires that you need to solve. At like midnight or 1 a.m. when you went to bed, you have a really long to-do list of stuff that you're gonna hammer it out. And then three fires pop up, so you can't do any of your to-do list that day because you're addressing the fires stuff like that. I think I handle it well, but it's stressful for sure. And like sometimes frustrating.
0: Especially thinking about that in line with also, I know every single day you try to get through all your messages, all your emails, you're kind of doing inbox zero in all these different places. You also have all these meetings. Obviously, I think part of that, at least my experience has been, is that kind of pressure ratchets up. You slowly adapt to that and you get more comfortable with that. But I think we also all develop our own coping mechanisms. Do you have anything that you do to try to, I don't know, either just remind yourself it's okay, take a deep breath, shut off or switch off? What do you do to, I guess, keep yourself sane? I love listening
1: to music, especially if I'm just like going through emails, I don't ever remember a scenario like where I was going through an email and it was like some extremely, extremely mentally challenging thing. So I think going through emails, you can kind of listen to music and it's kind of a way to just do something that's kind of a bit rote in a way that's more exciting. I also go for walks and stuff. I live in Puerto Rico, so often I'll go for like a walk along the ocean. You can kind of hear the sound of the waves and I'll usually like be like doing emails or something while I'm doing it, but it's still very relaxing, far more relaxing than like doing our emails in a chair.
0: Yeah. That doesn't sound terrible. doesn't sound like a terrible way to answer emails on the kind of software and tool side. Do you use any tools daily to manage your work, your email task time? And that can either be software that can be physical things. If you keep a physical to-do list, what does that look like for you on the tool side?
1: Email wise, I use superhuman. I wouldn't get through most of my email if I didn't have it, I don't think. And then calendar, I just use the Apple calendar and then task management stuff. I've tried everything over the years. There's this one that I liked for a while called Sunsana or something like that. Asana is okay. And then you have a million other ones that are, some are more engineering specific, some are more just like general task managers. I think the problem with task managers that I found is there's so many that I'm like invited to. If I opened all of them, i probably have like 10 tabs for each task manager for everything that I'm involving in or touching. And so I eventually like this year just kind of like said, screw that. and switched back to Apple Notes because for my own personal task management I actually just use Apple Notes. And the reason is every other app, you have to log in sometimes, sometimes you're logged out if you're like traveling or whatever. Sometimes the app takes 15, 20 seconds to load. I may have two seconds to like note something down, commit it to the notes and then go back to what I need to be focused on. And so I switched to that and it's way better. It's way more productive. People that I manage or work with, like we also have now like shared Apple Notes where it's like effectively like mini Asana or task manager with like the item current status, that kind of thing. And it's way better because I can check on it 24 7 know, and it takes two to three seconds versus 30 seconds where like if it's 30 seconds i'll like check it like at the end of the day and then like I might forget to do it it's just a pain so apple notes is great
0: yeah, that's fascinating. You guys have kind of built your own productivity app <laughs> using, using linked kind of networked Apple notes. On the personal growth side, one question we always ask everyone, you may or may not have a great answer here, but I'm curious to hear your take. We always ask about a favorite failure. So something, and this can be the vein of your background. This can be an investment that didn't work out. This can be a company or a protocol that you are a really big believer in that just didn't work out. This can be something super personal that you tried that didn't work out, but something that because it didn't work out propelled you in a Better direction or taught you a lot of something valuable about the world. Any favorite failures come to mind?
1: I actually keep like a list of big mistakes I've made, so I don't forget them. I mean, one like on the investing side, like I'd say my investing failures in the past have been like not investing in stuff because there were theoretical legal reasons why it didn't make sense to invest in it, and then like later the business model changed or the founders evolved, the legal landscape changed. Those are bad reasons not to invest in something, in my opinion. And so I've changed my opinion on that. Obviously, if it's outright illegal, I wouldn't invest. But if it's a gray area or if it's like the founders haven't launched and they can do one tweak and make it legal and the founders aren't sure if they're going to do that tweak, they will make the tweak when their lawyers tell them they have to. I think being too conservative there is a mistake I've made in the past. The other thing I think is just being very cognizant of where you are in the market cycle and not deploying too heavily. Like I think the lesson I learned in the 2017, 2018 cycle is you may have a very large portfolio, and think, you know, to invest X percent into Y project, you need to deploy XYZ dollars. But if the market goes down 60%, you actually don't have that large a portfolio. Even if you avoid some of the drawdowns, say you happen to sell and you're only down 40%, you're still down 40%. Think about position sizing in a way that's a bit more conservative than you probably actually should be. Stuff like that is another lesson I've learned.
0: It's super interesting. You may or may not have an answer for this. This is kind of a deeper question <laughs> than I think a lot of people appreciate. But in your mind, do you have a definition of success? And this can be personal, this can be professional, this can be kind of all-encompassing. How do you think about that for yourself?
1: Yeah, I'd say for me, it would be like living a life that's like enjoyable. You're actually having fun. You're happy to be doing what you're doing. And you're making a positive contribution towards moving the world forward. I think a lot of it to me It's tied to like tech progress, like moving the world forward. I really want to help push DeFi along. It's like something that's actually quite important to me. Those things are are success. Also like having like a happy family. Like that's another area I think that's important. A lot of people like when they think of success, you know, traditionally think of like financial success. I think it's more about like what positive impact have you had? Not like, like an ESG way, but more just like have you like moved the needle on technological progress? I think it's a cool thing to like try to aspire to.
0: It's fascinating. No one's given that answer. Just a huge focus on kind of technical human progress. Last question. What are you most grateful for in this phase of your life?
1: I'm definitely like very grateful for the team we've built at Pantera. I think it's a world-class team and we're having a million things going on. I think back to like when I joined the firm, you had $150 million under management or roughly in that kind of ballpark. And now we have $6 billion something. It's just insane scale. And the fact that Everybody's working so hard and the fact that like people have managed to still stay sane throughout it. And I'm thankful for the team that we have, I think, because what we do like wouldn't really work without the team behind us. So I think that's something I've been thinking about recently.
0: Yeah, it's really well said. And obviously that's an incredible experience to go from 150 million to 6 billion and still stay sane in the firm. Well, thank you so much, Jody. I know people can find you on Twitter at Joy Krug. What is your website? Is it joykrug.com?
1: I may own that domain. I don't even know if I have anything on it right now. You can just find me on Twitter. Twitter's great or email either of those are good.
0: And I know people can also email you, especially if they have interesting projects, things they're working on in kind of DeFi crypto space at Joey and Pantera Capital.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Joey. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to everything we discussed, as well as the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 77. For more from Joey, listen to his Infinite Games episode number 74, where we dive into everything from how he thinks about risk to the lessons he's learned from ex-Tiger global trader Dan Moorhead and the crypto projects he's most excited about now. You can also find more incredible interviews with the founders of Superhuman, Levels, Rally, Common Stock, and Primal Kitchen, as well as best-selling authors and many of the world's smartest investors at outlieracademy.com. We have an amazing back catalog if you've never checked it out. And if you haven't already, check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Outlier Academy, where you can find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite clips from each episode. From our entire team at Outlier Academy, we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope to see you right here next week on 20 Minute Playbook.